I have worked for a number of different organizations and the one thing I keep hearing uh, over and over again, whether it's an organization, whether it's a marriage, is that our greatest problem is a lack of what? See, you've heard it too. Um, and, it's, and I guess at some level it's true and then at some level it's a cop-out, to be honest with you. Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's actually just, well, the only thing I know what to say is it's a communication problem. What does that mean? I don't know, we just say that. Um, at some level it is great and how can we as a church make sure that the information that you need so that you can recognize who we are and what we're doing and connect particularly to our mission of going and gathering and growing for the glory of God. It's critical that we do that. So again, I have no idea why he encourages you to do that when I'm about to break open God's word, but I guess that's a sign that Ryan's priorities need to be reassigned. So uh, we'll be working on that this week. You can be praying for him. Uh, turn in your Bibles, um, which is probably on your iPhone. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at some texts today. We're looking at a series of questions. Originally, when we broke this down, we had three different sermons that we were going to use. And the more that I looked at it, the more that I realized these aren't independent ideas about heaven and the afterlife, and then an independent idea about money and giving, and then an independent idea. No, they're actually like strung together intentionally. Matthew is bridging these ideas together because there really seems to be three different questions that all come back to the same answer. And that's why it's good for us to just stop and to realize just even the power of a good question. I'm not one of those that actually believes that uh, every question is equal. I actually believe that there are really, really good questions and there are okay questions and there are really, really poor questions. And I think it's good for us to, I used to tell it to my students all the time. You'll say, I'd say, listen, other teachers will tell you there's no such thing as a bad question, but that's just their way of saying they love you. It's just their way of being kind. But the truth is, is that good inquiry, good questioning gets to a deeper understanding of whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, for example, in the scientific world, they don't say, well, ask anything you want. No, 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 no. We need to be able to ask good questions. And education, maybe one of the greatest things that an education can do is teach you how to ask good questions. Because when you ask the wrong question, sometimes you can limit <laughs> kind of the scope of the answer. Have you heard this question? What one thing do I need to do to be saved? What does that question presuppose? If there's one thing. Imagine if I said to you, what one thing do I need to do to, go, to, uh, to graduate from college? Just one. Oh, man. <laughs> like, here's the problem. What one thing do you need to do to graduate from college? Th what the answer I'm going to give you is going to be so generic that it's not going to be much help to you because there's so much that's going to be needed. And so asking the right question can really help set up the right answer. And Jesus is in this week of his life, the final week of his life, he's dealing with a number of people coming and asking questions and Jesus has no problem like asking the tougher question. Why are you asking this? What ulterior motives do you have? He doesn't just sit there. It's not a Q&A time. And Jesus is, no, he's, he's willing to push back. See, it's very interesting because do you have questions for Jesus? Things that you want him to answer? And then you have to ask yourself at some level this question, are you prepared for the dialogue that's about to ensue? Because Jesus isn't just an answer person. He is the answer. 
And he's going to want to come along and say, well, let's find out why that matters to you that much. Let's find out what other priorities I want to talk about and how I want to kind of restructure your entire life. Are you ready to open up this can of worms? No, I just want to know why bad things happen to good people. Are you assuming there's good people? Exactly. (laughs) It's amazing how the Lord works. (laughs) I hope that's not my phone. No, it's not. Okay, good. That would have been embarrassing. But look, let's look at your text. Let's look at your text. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Um, He's going to have some questions brought up by some very religious people. Um, You need to understand that Pharisees and Sadducees are not the same kind of group of people. Um, they're enemies of one another. They, they, they believe in different things. They adamantly oppose one another in so many ways. Sadducees are wrapped up in um, much of the work of the temple. Um, Pharisees are wrapped up much in the work that you would see in the synagogue. And a synagogue is not a miniature temple. It's not at all. Uh, rabbis are people that the, uh, are leaders that the people absolutely loved and adored and kind of looked up to them for spiritual advice and guidance and saw them as, uh, as, as, as very committed religious people. And so in Jesus of Nazareth, both the Pharisees, the religious experts, and the Sadducees, the guardians of the temple, had problems with Jesus. And it's beginning to kind of really hit ahead and Jesus is going to be challenged in these three questions this morning, and it begins with the Pharisees. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted, because this is what you have to do to get Jesus uh, to quote-unquote trip up. They went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. See, can you see the reason why they're asking these questions? They're not, they're not eagerly wanting to know the truth. They're, not, they're trying to trap him. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true. This is how you kind of get behind someone's defenses, is that you try to make them be more important or feel feel more important than they are. But when you're Jesus, you already know you're the most important being in the universe. So you you can't flatter Jesus. You can respond truthfully to him, but then anything you say isn't just flattery, it's just called praise, you know? Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, where they're going with this, and you've already seen this in this section of Matthew's gospel, the religious leaders are trying to separate Jesus from the crowds. The crowds consider him to be a prophet and a miracle worker. So they're like, ooh. The Pharisees are trying to undermine him, but they don't want to come out and accuse him. They don't want to come out and absolutely manipulate him in the open because they're afraid of the crowds. So they're trying to figure out, how can we get Jesus? How can we get, well, I mean, he likes to talk about money a lot. And he says some pretty crazy things about money, actually. So maybe we could do that there. Well, what about money? I don't know. Well, let's think about it. What do we do with our money? Well, I'll tell you. We hate the Romans. Ah, Romans, money, taxes. I got an idea. Why don't we make him choose between the Romans and the Jewish interests? Like, why don't we ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And if he says, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then the crowds will hate him. And if he says, no, don't pay taxes to to the Romans, then the Romans are going to go, traitor, we got him. Okay, who wants to do it? I'll do it. Seriously, you want to remember what happened last time? Yeah, but I think it's going to be different this time. <laughs> and what I love, notice this, 
Jesus, how, how we're always taught is that when someone asks you a question, that we're supposed to say, that's a very good question. You are so caring and insightful and loving, and I'm here to support you in your endeavor for the truth. Jesus' response was, <laughs> but, Jesus, but Jesus, aware of their malice, can I just tell you that when someone asks you a question, and this is critical, is that you discern to the best of your ability. We're not Jesus. But we're also um, not without the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction either. So I'm not saying, hey, you know what? Jesus will give us exact discernment just like him. No, I don't think that actually. But it's really good to ask this question when someone's asking questions about God or to you about God or something like that, to ask, where is this person coming from? Because yet once again, not all questions are the same. And I see so many Christian people chasing after questions that are really never intended to be answered. They're just a, a point of argumentation. When I was younger, I wanted to fight every one of them. And as I get older, I begin to realize, no, there's no discernment in fighting every one of them. Discernment teaches me how to respond. Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? You guys, you guys love to look the religious role. You love to look on the outside as though you love God and honor him. But in the end, interestingly enough, Jesus in, in earlier in Matthew's gospel accused them of loving money. You guys love money. Here's what you will actually do. You will take the word of God and you will twist it so that somehow you get more money. That's what you're like. You're not interested in the word of God. You're not interested in pleasing him. You're interested in yourself. And anything that makes you... Enjoy what you have, you're willing to do it. And you'll twist anything to get there. And by the way, you call those people hypocrites. They pretend they want to know the truth. I just want to know the truth. But in the end, it's, uh, no, my mind is already made up, and I want to find a way to get the truth to validate decisions that I've already made in a lifestyle that I've already chosen. And it's not just Pharisees, it's us. It's so many of our own questions. And Jesus is really asking, do you really want to know why you should forgive? Or are you just trying to play a religious game where you look like you're a forgiving person? Do you really want to know like how you should give towards the kingdom? Or do you want to look like a giver without having to be one? I'm, I'm just fascinated, truly. I'm not someone that can see your financial information either. But do you notice the degree to which people are deeply concerned about their financial information and their children? It's like they're the same thing. You need to protect two things, my children and my financial information. Why? Because what's more important than our children and our financial information? Um, our souls? Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And by the way, he could have left it there, but I'm glad he didn't. Verse 19, show me a coin for the tax. They brought to him a denarius. And Jesus then said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Look, let's just take a look at this. I mean, obviously, this is a piece of metal that came from the ground that God made. But somebody took the time to make it look like this. And then somebody took an inscription, like a face, and they stamped it on top of that. Who is that? Who is, whose, whose face is that? And they all said, it's Caesar's. And then he said to them, well, 
I guess if he likes it so much he wants to put his face on it, why don't you give it back? Look at this. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Man, he seems to really like money. I mean, honestly, put his picture on everything. Seems to really, really like it. By the way, so if he really, really likes it, why don't you give it to him? And he doesn't end there. And then, by the way, he says, make sure, kind of bigger picture, let me elaborate here. Make sure that if there's anything that has God's imprint, like any, anything that belongs to God, anything that is made in his image or for his purposes, can you make sure that God gets that? What's he implying? He's going after the heart of the issue. You guys are here to trick me. Your hearts aren't right. You're hypocrites. You really don't even want to know the truth. You want to find a way to keep money and to deny God what is rightfully his. And he exposes it all for them. And they hate it. It says, when they heard it, they marveled. It's almost like, okay, how does he know this stuff? They marveled and they left him and went away. There's just nothing more to say. When you think you've got a brilliant question and Jesus cuts through all of it and gets to the heart of you, now all of a sudden something has to happen and they choose to run. It continues on. Question number two, that same day, Matthew records, some Sadducees. Now again, Sadducees are located kind of... um, not, not just geographically, but their area of influence is obviously in Jerusalem and in the temple area. Um, they are a group of people that love the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They believe that the, the writings and the prophets and the, 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 the poets that come afterwards, all the rest of the Old Testament, they don't consider those to be authoritative. And so they, they really had a hard time with things like angels and demons and the afterlife. They thought that was just kind of made up stuff. You know, the law of Moses really is all we can actually adhere to. After that, it's just fairy tales and it's just hard to, hard to, hard to stomach. So you need to know that going in because they're going to ask Jesus or ask Jesus a question about the afterlife, but they don't even believe in one. Again, a disingenuine interest that these Sadducees have. Which again reminds us that a lot of questions that we get about God really aren't about God. They're really not asking a question to somehow deal with the complexities of life and they're just honest seekers. Well, there are some of those. And there are a lot of people that are just hurt, just angry, just trying to find a fault, a chink in God's armor. The same day Sadducees come to him, and by the way, they say there is no resurrection, Matthew records, and they ask him a question, saying, and I want you to just kind of hear the the laughing in between the lines. They're going to quote something from the books of Moses that they believe to be true. Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offering for his brother. So that's a true statement. This is what we find In the Old Testament, we find this uh, Leverite marriage, this idea that in order to continue on the brother's lineage, that the brothers of the, um, the dead brother, that their wife, someone has to come along and marry and have children for his brother's name's sake. And that, that they believe to just be true, and now they're trying to figure out, so then how does this work if there's a resurrection? So notice how it continues. Now there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. 
so too the second and the third, down all the way to the, <laughs> to the seven, just to show you how dumb your thinking is. I want, I want to take it, and this was a very kind of a common rabbinical idea, let's take it to the extremes to see the foolishness of your thinking. And then they continue on. And after them all, the woman died. And in the resurrection, ha, 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 of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. They all had married her. So I know, Jesus, that you think there is a resurrection. But, okay, explain to me why God would say this, which would then cause a woman to be married to seven different people. And then, if there even it would be a resurrection, how is that going to work out? And notice what Jesus says. First of all, I want to thank you for asking a question this morning. I just, I really appreciate the opportunity that I have to share with you some thoughts that I was thinking about. Um, I need to begin by just uh, letting you know that I appreciate the honest inquiry that you are bringing forth today, and I want to support you in your educational endeavors. Nope, not at all. Jesus said to him, you are wrong. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I have never heard a teacher tell me that. No, no, no. You are right in a different kind of way. A way that does not coincide with the reality that there really is. What are you trying to say? Well, I'm trying to say without having to... No, you are wrong. Like, you're wrong. He doesn't appear to be in the text. He doesn't appear to be mad. He's not yelling. He's not screaming. But he is pointing out, maybe even rather intentionally, or definitely intentionally, maybe even forcefully, like, you're wrong. Like, you're wrong to the very foundation of who you are. You are wrong. And why are you wrong? I thought this was very interesting. Because of these two things. Because you neither know the scriptures. So you guys think you know the Bible. Like, you think you understand it, but you don't know the scriptures. I love it when someone wants to come to me and ask an honest question from the scriptures. At least I say it's an honest question. And then they begin this way. Doesn't it say in the scriptures somewhere? Okay, so at least we know you've been working hard at this. Have you heard of Google? <laughs> like, you don't even need, like, a concordance to figure this out. Doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere? You don't know the scriptures. Well, you know in the Bible all of those contradictions. Okay, I mean, I, I, I've studied, actually. So which one are you? You know, all of them. No, 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 like, give me an example. Well, you know, the ones. Okay, like, you're still not really answering the question. Like, I'm willing to discuss. I think, I think there could be a great question in here. I haven't found it yet, but why don't you help me see where you're coming from? Like, which contradiction? Well, I don't even know if I want to look at them because there's so many of them. Okay. Still haven't answered the question. Like, by the way, I really do believe there's some frustration and there's some, but they're really wrestling with something, but they haven't really thought through. And what does Jesus say? If you want to know why you're wrong, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures. That's what Jesus says. You're wrong because you don't know the scriptures. And the second thing he says is, and you're wrong because you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Now, what's very interesting about this particular text is it just, I, I, I hear people that talk like this actually quite a bit. See, their logic is this, that if these things are true in this life, then they must be true in the next life. And there probably is going to be no difference between them. And what Jesus actually points out is that the power of God 
It, it, doesn't just, it doesn't make our thinking dumb or stupid. It just makes it limited. Like, did you know your understanding about how God is going to work all things out is limited? Are you okay with that? Are you okay that you don't have it totally figured out? You haven't totally worked out? One of my favorite analogies for this is to speak to a little child inside its mother and to say, hey, sweetheart, I can't wait till you come out on the other side. And let's pretend the baby could hear you and understand and talk, okay? And the baby would say, well, what's it like? Oh, it's amazing. The world is so big. It's, well, I, I just, I, to be honest with you, I don't see big. I just, it just seems rather small. I know, but on the other side, it's huge. We have these things called cars. You can drive around with me. You can get in an airplane. You can fly way up in the sky. What's the sky? It's this big, beautiful place. Yeah, because I don't see that. No, but you will. You'll see it. You'll understand it. We'll be able to travel large distances. And your little child grabs her umbilical cord going, yeah, it's not long enough. No, I know, but what you can't understand is that your source of life right now is, is not going to be your source of life on the other side. Like every, I can't tell you, sweetheart, you just have to come here to see this amazing life that, that is just right around the corner for you. And that child would look around its world and go, you're crazy. None of that makes sense in my world. But we're right, aren't we? And these Sadducees are looking and they got this, they think, this brilliant question. And the real problem is, is that they don't see beyond. They don't see that God is not limited by these things. I, I get, sometimes I get some really good questions. I mean, I'll be honest, I think a good question. Someone who deeply loves their spouse, someone who deeply loves their parents, someone who deeply loves their child and is now dealing with the loss of that spouse or parent or child. And they're beginning to add it up and they realize that their spouse or parent or child did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they ask this question, how could I ever enjoy eternity if the one that I love the most isn't there? That's, that's actually a good question. Two things you don't know though. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Two things you don't know, the scriptures and the power of God. Because the scriptures would actually teach that we should love the Lord our God above all things. That to put anything, 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 spouse, parent, child, ahead of God, somehow defies God's ultimate purpose and intention. And you don't understand that that the, the next life is so much more and that God's presence is so much more. You do not know. None of us do. I'm not speaking as one who knows. It is still something that is so far beyond me that the power of the presence of God is greater than any loss you could ever have. Listen, I get the question. I understand the dilemma. I feel for the angst. But the power of God, according to the scriptures, and the power of God, as demonstrated in history, show just how big and strong and powerful he is. Verse 30, it says, for in the resurrection, he points out, they, they, uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels. And as for the resurrection of the dead, you have not read, 
or sorry, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, meaning he's not saying I was the God of Abraham, but now he's dead. I was the God of Isaac, but now he's dead. No, I, I am the God of them, meaning that they're here. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard this, they were absolutely astonished at his teaching. Why? Because Jesus knows the scriptures and he knows the powers of God and he understands that our questions may lead us in the wrong direction and he loves us enough to tell us that we're wrong. He loves us enough to expose kind of the wickedness or the pride in our own hearts and he loves us enough to help us understand the truth and he loves us enough to lead us there. Question number three, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, kind of like, huddle. This isn't going well. Huddle. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the, which is the great commandment in the law? Essentially, the greatest commandment is what he's asking. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Again, maybe even exposing some of the problems of the previous two questions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now notice that is a very intentional commandment. it's not mean, but it definitely is a shot at the Sadducees. On, all, on these two things, which you'll find in Moses' law, is all of what the Bible hangs on. And it's interesting, they have nothing to say. Jesus, yet once again, just cuts through it all, exposes the reality of what God's ultimate desire is, and just leaves it. So now, I guess the questions are done from their side, but Jesus is just getting warmed up. Now, while the Pharisees, verse 41, were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ or the Messiah, the promised one of God, the one that would be from the line of David? What do you think about him? Whose son is he? In essence, where does he come from? And they said to him, he's the son of David. And then he said to them, well, then how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? How does David call his son Lord? Saying, and he quotes the, 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 the psalm, the Lord, God, said to my Lord, David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David, King David, calls him Lord, who would be the Messiah or the Christ, how is he his son? No one is able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. In essence, what Jesus is really kind of getting to the very bottom of this, and and only if he's God does this make sense, is Jesus just points out, like, I am the answer to this question. Like, I am the answer to this question. What's your question? Because I am the answer. I know that can sound like a compa. What do you mean Jesus is the answer to every question? He just keeps going back and pointing out, now, if he's God, it totally makes sense. If he's not, then it really doesn't make sense. He's just one more teacher and a host of many. But if he's actually God, then it really does make a good answer. But it might need a little more follow-up. So, because you have questions, right? Like, God, why did my parents get a divorce? Jesus, really, he's the one that caused this. 
No, it's not that kind of answer. Genuine question. Honestly seeking. God, why did my parents get a divorce? Well, listen, let me tell you. First of all, it was not the way that God intended it. Because at the very beginning, when God and his son Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, made the world, um, everything was good and perfect. And through our first fathers, Adam and Eve, there was brokenness, profound brokenness. And, and we've continued all, all, you know, all the way up until now. And I don't know the specifics of your situation. I mean, we could talk about them, but let me tell you kind of the big picture is that there can be a brokenness that leads to more brokenness that leads to more brokenness until all of a sudden the pain resides in your heart. But that was not God's intent. And the real good news is, is that Jesus is bigger than that. I mean, he, he brings hope to your mom and to your dad. He brings hope to you. He brings hope to all of us. He gives us an identity so that even in the midst of our brokenness, why are my parents not married? Jesus can provide like peace and comfort. And he can be the one, because some people make vows and don't keep them, but Jesus keeps every vow. And I know you just feel kind of like lost and I'm just tired of picking sides. And Jesus says, but if you like listen to me and if you follow me, I'm gonna be able to give you something in which your identity is going to be able to outlast and be deeper and stronger than anything that this world could give you. See, the answer is Jesus. The answer becomes him. Well, why is there so much, like, there's strife in the world and people arguing and nobody is getting along and, and that happens in the church, you know, too. Oh, I know it does. But let me remind you that, again, in the beginning, this was not the way that God intended. And whether it's the reason why your sister got cancer or whether uh, your child won't actually listen to the words of God, this was not the way that God intended, but it is the way that the world is and God is not blind to this and he sent his son to begin to redeem this. And you may not like to hear what it means to submit to him and to follow him, but the real truth is, is that God has a plan to take all the brokenness that you are right now fighting against and you're so angry about and you're so broken over, and he desires through Jesus Christ and in him alone to bring peace and understanding and purpose back into this world. And I know that sounds crazy. And I know that that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but I can just tell you, person after person after person who have trusted that, those words, that one, Jesus, and have found peace and hope and purpose. See, it really is Jesus. The Sadducees don't want to hear it. The Pharisees don't want to hear it. The crowds don't want to hear it. Because in the end, they want their money and they want their time. They want their lives. And Jesus is saying, but you'll never find it if you don't take me. You can add up all the arguments you have against God, all the reasons why you think you're smarter than him or better than him, all the reasons why you're not gonna listen to his word, why you wanna deny his power. And, and listen, you're not alone. Um, the world has been doing that since the beginning. It is still the testimony of this book. And I'm just gonna kind of line up with it that all of our foolishness and all of our argumentation really gets us nowhere but deeper levels of brokenness and frustration. And only in Jesus do we find hope 
to make sense of our brokenness or begin the path of redemption and reconciliation. And that's why he came. So that we could experience that. That's why he came. So you could experience that. See, the answer really is Jesus. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Listen to this. I, I, I'm fascinated at when I try to share the good news of Jesus, people just say, that just sounds nuts. And then I want to try to make it not sound nuts. That just sounds foolish. And Okay, well, let me explain to you why it's logical and powerful. And I'll be honest with you. I, I struggle with most people trying to take away the foolishness and the silliness, whatever word that you want to use, um, the wisdom. I want, it, I want it to sound so smart. But Paul just acknowledges the complexity of the message that we have. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, I recommend you underline 18 through 25 and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. For the word of the cross, meaning the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if you don't get it, I have no other way to explain it to you. You think it's nuts? I get it. I get that you think that. It just doesn't seem that way to me. It just seems like it's the most real thing in the world. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not, has God not made foolish of the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In essence, God chose something that you can't get by being smarter and more logical and just more powerful. No, God says, yeah, well, I'm going to make it so that you don't get it. You're wrong. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Look at what he says in verse 22. For Jews demand signs, so do we, and Greeks seek wisdom, so do we. We're in, double, we're in trouble twice. We want signs and wisdom. But really, all that the gospel gives us, but we preach Christ crucified, it's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called, and few, many are called, few are chosen, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness, see I told you, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let me say that again. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that's why Jesus says to the crowds and to the disciples, to all of the religious leaders, the answer to all of your questions is me. You might think it's about taxes. You might think about, I, I, here, well, you know what I don't like? I don't like the hypocrites that exist in the church. I don't like the fact that there's problems with the world, and I can't believe that there's evil in the world. I've got so many questions. I remember a young man saying to me one time, it was just debate after debate after debate. Yeah, well, then, well, how, who made God? We'd debate that for a while. Evolution or creation, we'd debate that for a while. He had all these answers. And then finally he just said, um, can I just, when we meet, I don't want to meet out publicly, I'd like to meet in your office. I said, sure, that'd be great. So we meet in our office, and I'm thinking, what's, what's the next question, right? Why is there evil in the world or something like that? 
And he just looks at me and he says, uh, I sat in your church and prayed that my mom would not marry her boyfriend because he was molesting me. And God did not answer that prayer. Wow. And sometimes it gets serious, doesn't it? Like fast. And listen, the answer is Jesus in this. To bring healing and restoration back to this young man's life. And I get that you're hurt, and I get that you're confused, and I get that you're intelligent. I'm just telling you over and over and over again, the answer is going to be Jesus. And then the unpacking of that is the rest of your life. And by the way, it doesn't always have to be complicated and hard. It can be fun too. It really can be fun, you know. Sometimes, well, how how do I help my marriage? I know one way you can help your marriage, by going to a Western dance. (laughs) Seriously, because sometimes every question's heavy and... No, sometimes it's just learning to dance, isn't it? Isn't that just what it is? Sometimes just learning to dance. I love the fact, I love the fact that when God comes to us, he really does, he shows us the ups and the downs and the deeps as well as the shallows. God is God of it all. And it's important for us to take all of those questions, whatever they might be, big or small, it's it's even okay for you to ask a bad question. Just remember, Jesus knows you. And he knows what's best for you. It's him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and for an opportunity that we have to make much of you. I thank you for your power and your purpose. And God, I pray that as we have an opportunity to unwrap over the next few weeks and months the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, that we would do so with humility. God, may we not make so much of ourselves. May you humble us and kind of cut into our arrogance Uh, Father, I ask all of this so that somehow by your purposes and for your glory, we can see the reality of who Jesus Christ is. We can live in that reality. Father, I pray that it is both profound and simple, that it is both deep and wide. And so I thank you for them both. And it's in Jesus Christ we humbly pray. Amen. And so without further ado, right before you leave, here it comes. His name is Joe. Well, it's, we got to be close. I saw a sign for Stillwater right back there, so I, I think we're getting close. We would have been here a little quicker if we'd stopped to ask for directions. Well, we're here now, so we got the right place. It's the right day, right? So Stillwater, it's February 12th, so. No, wait, for the Roundup, the Valentine Roundup. The Roundup, yeah, we're here for the, yeah. The Roundup's next Sunday. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, February 12th. That's okay. We got another week for the Roundup. I love a good Roundup. Riding and roping and and punching little doggies and <laughs> right, saying yeehaw. No, no. Okay, one, you will not say yeehaw. And two, um, there's not going to be roping. We're not Brandon what? moving along little dogs. Oh. It's a great barbecue dinner. Um, some wonderful live music. Dancing if you want, but you don't have to dance. Uh, uh, dancing's good. Yeah. In fact, there's a really good um, band. It's like 007, double O, double oh, I. Double. 
Double up, buckshot. Double up, buckshot. Oh, That's those them. guys are great. I love them guys. Yeah, great. They're gonna music. be there. They're gonna be there, and uh, and you don't you don't even have to like wear a hat and boots because so this not, not really just a you. cowboy. Roundup. No, it's not just a cowboy roundup. It's just a great time to come gather together. Um, great food, music, uh, fellowship. So city folks, cowboys, flatlanders, yeah. single, married. <laughs> single, married, life groups, life table groups. groups. Be a great, yeah. yeah. Oh. So next Sunday, 6 to 9, and you know what? It's not here not at Sunny Brook. Nope. It's drop the youngins of, off here. Drop the youngins off here because there will be child care from 5.30 to 9. But we're going to be at the Payne County Expo for the Valentine Roundup. Expo out at the fairground. So let me ask you another question. I don't have exactly what you'd call a bunch of financial resources. Um, what What's this going to cost me, a no, boat, to get in there? It's not bad at all. It's $25 a person, and that covers all your dinner, all the fun, and the child care. Well, that's a bargain. It is. Well, we ought to head over there and see if we can get ready to... to okay, hold your horses. <laughs> hold your horses. Um, there's one more important step, and that is to be sure to register. Uh, this Sunday, today, is the last day to register. So if you are thinking about going, step right on into the lobby area. There's a lot of folks that want to take your name and information and get you registered for the Roundup next weekend. Well, That's let's mosey it. that way and get signed up. Okay. And they say comedy is dead. It wasn't until that. It killed it. There is now no more comedy or laughter or joy. No. Uh, love you guys. God bless. Go in the name of Jesus Christ. We'd love to continue the faith conversation. If you'd rather do that, then round up. <laughs>